the Moving from Volume to Value topic track at the IHN National Forum on Quality Improvement in Healthcare is dedicated to conducting business with the mission to create sustainable healthcare value for patients. See how your peers surpass challenges using improvement methods and choose from 175-plus sessions to attend, including Hot Topics in High-Value Healthcare, The Economics of Acute Care Redesign, Driving Out Waste to Return the Money, Seven Proven Paths for Engaging Physicians Around Costs, and many more. To learn more about the sessions at this year's forum or to register, visit IHI.org forum. Now, here's WIHI. Imagine, if you will, if health systems in the U.S. got behind the goal of cutting in half the estimated $1 trillion that's now wasted in healthcare every year, as in nothing of value is added. Could we do this by 2025? Who would propose such an audacious aim? That's just about five years from now, and we're talking getting rid of $500 billion worth of today's healthcare bill? Really? Well, whether you're skeptical or saying tell me more or a little bit of both, you're in for an energetic hour with a determined group from IHI's Leadership Alliance that's issuing a new and some might say renewed call to action on this matter. They want to tell you what they've come up with to help you lead the charge at your own organizations on this edition of WIHI, and I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live and then after the show as an archived edition on IHI.org and also on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. So every now and then, it helps to restate that no matter how many improvements are made in patient care, in the way healthcare operates, if these changes don't also start to take big bites out of medical bills and the cost to society, when healthcare is heading to 20% of GDP, we're kidding ourselves on what's sustainable. But don't listen to me. Let's get to our panel and introductions. So first, joining us by phone, I want to introduce Helen McPhee. She is Chief Transformation Officer at Memorial Care based in Southern California. Helen is responsible for facilitation of system-level transformation and performance. She also serves as faculty for IHI's Patient Safety Executive Development and Population Health Leadership Courses. Welcome, Helen. Thank you very much. Good morning. Great. Here in the studio and all the way from the state of Washington, we have Joanne Roberts, who's the Chief Value Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health, working with clinical leaders to build improvement and leadership skills. Excuse me. She is a hospice and palliative medicine physician whose passion is developing clinical leaders in promoting interdisciplinary teamwork in order to drive up safety, quality, service, and access while driving waste, that's a key word, out of healthcare. Welcome, Joanne. Thanks, Mads. Great to be here. Also back to the phone, we have Kelly Logue, who is the Senior Director of Care Affordability at Health Partners in Minnesota. Kelly leads major improvement initiatives across all parts of care delivery, and she has over 25 years of health experience in healthcare with financing, administration, and operations. Welcome, Kelly. 
Thank you, Madge. Glad to be here. All right. And last but never least, we have Derek Feely. He is IHI's president and CEO. He's here in the studio as well. Prior to joining IHI in 2013, Derek served as Director General for Health and Social Care in the Scottish Government, and he was Chief Executive of the National Health Service in Scotland. In that role, he was the principal advisor to the Scottish Government on health and health care policy and on public service improvement. So welcome, Derek. Hi, Madge. Good to be back. All right, Derek gets the first question. And runaway costs and spending in U.S. health care, Derek, whether you have observed that from near or far, is certainly not a new phenomenon, nor are efforts to reverse this trend. And it comes to me to think that many in the QI movement might say, aren't they doing everything they can already uh, to eliminate waste uh, when you think about poor care, defects, overuse, and so on? So are they? Uh, No, Madge, we are not. Uh, uh, Waste uh, we found is endemic in healthcare, Uh, and it exists in pretty much every healthcare system uh, throughout the entire world. And given that the U.S. spends twice as much on healthcare compared to the average of OECD countries, it's a particular challenge here. So in the work that we're going to talk about today, uh, we, we have, as you said, identified a trillion dollars worth of waste in the U.S. healthcare system. And the economist in me just wants to pause here and restate that. That's a trillion dollars worth of waste. It's roughly equivalent to the GDP of Mexico that we're wasting every year. Only 15 countries in the entire world have a GDP in excess of a trillion dollars. Um, and, the, uh, and we spend it every year on things that add no value uh, for our patients and families and the people we serve. And it's not just the money that's being wasted. It's the, it's the most precious resources that we have, the time and spirit and joy of our workforce, that's being drained by wasteful processes every day. Um, and uh, those, the financial costs that that, ent- that entails to organizations, to uh, cities, to families and patients are, as this document lays out, uh, stressing the political fabric of the country. 20% of uh, GDP on healthcare is not sustainable. Uh, so there's, uh, there's much to do, uh, and uh, I would ask the listeners just to imagine uh, the homeless who could be housed, the schools that could be funded, the social needs that could be met with a trillion dollars. So the real question here is not, is there waste? Uh, there is. Uh, the real question, we think, is can we identify uh, the waste, remove it, and return it, uh, return the money to those who need it most. And that's where the Leadership Alliance comes in. The Leadership Alliance is a dynamic collaboration of healthcare uh, systems who share a goal to work with one another in partnership, uh, in the spirit of generosity, in pursuit of unprecedented AAA results. We've got 50 organizations who are uh, part of our Leadership Alliance, uh, and our mission is to try and uh, ensure the radical redesign of healthcare. If you're listening and you're not a member of the Leadership Alliance, you should join. 
And what we found is that um, identifying and removing waste needs three things. It needs uh, courage. So it needs a group of leaders who are willing to uh, stand up and say there is waste in our system uh, and uh, we are committed to finding it and returning. It needs redesign. As we say at IHI, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Our system is perfectly designed for a trillion dollars worth of waste. If we want to take half of that out, we're going to have to redesign. Uh, and we're committed to finding practical tools that people can use uh, that can be applied at a system level uh, to help to uh, people to make some progress. And I think that's the real uh, strength of the, the work that we're going to talk about. It's, uh, it's both a call to arms and a practical toolkit. So that's what we're here about. Uh, sorry, that's what we're about here. Um, asking people to endorse and prioritize local health systems uh, to, and strategies therein to reduce non-value-added waste. We're asking people to collaborate at local, state, and national level to get at some of the structural waste that exists. And we're asking people to advocate uh, for the policy and regulatory changes that we need. Uh, and uh, before I hand back to you, Madge, I just want to take this opportunity to say thanks to the folks who are on the call here, the people in the Leadership Alliance Waste Work Group who have been uh, doing this work on our behalf. And uh, Kelly and Joanne are here to represent that group. And uh, special thanks to Helen McPhee and our colleague Jim Leo from Memorial Care, who, who really uh, led a lot of this work. Uh, and then one more person who deserves a, a big vote of thanks is uh, Boswell Bueno from IHI. Boswell did all the heavy lifting that was involved in, in the underpinning research. So uh, I think this is a fantastic piece of work. Um, but the real test of it is, what do we do now? Okay, there's the challenge, not unlike the call to action and the $1 trillion checkbook, these are the two items uh, that Derek is referencing that Helen is about to tell us more about. We'll put up some images. Links are already there. We put out the links ahead of the program on our website in hopes that you, if you didn't read it cover to cover, you might at least flip through it. It's got both a bold message there as well as a huge amount of practical and useful information. So thank you, Derek. All right, Helen McPhee, I'm going to turn to you now, you and Dr. James Leo at Memorial Care and this waste work group in the Leadership Alliance, it's my understanding that you've been focused on this issue like a laser over the last year or so, maybe even longer. So talk to us about what it is you're trying uh, to generate in the field right now and also uh, help us uh, appreciate what we can do with some of these resources. Thanks a lot, Ellen. Oh, very good. Um, we've been from Memorial Care part of the Alliance since the beginning, so it's now in year six, and it's been an amazing experience to work with folks from across the U.S. and increasingly outside the U.S. on how to achieve um, this vision of care better than we've ever seen, health better than we've ever known, costs we can all afford. And kind of as you think about that last piece of it for every person every time, um, one of uh, we typically come together twice a year and uh, at a meeting in, uh, towards the end of 2017, we actually heard from a macroeconomist um, that the team brought in to talk with us, David Cutler, and he was really talking about this idea of 
most healthcare policy just moves money around. Washington does, Washington does not know how to make healthcare less expensive, um, which is probably as true today as it was back when we were talking about this. And so, um, um, and this idea that there had been a great article put out by Don Berwick and um, a, a group on this uh, wedges of waste idea in healthcare. And so things that cause waste, like failures of care delivery, failures of care coordination, over-treatment, and an idea that the U.S. is looking for a trillion dollars um, to help the economy as well. And so this, the idea of the trillion was really that simple, that, gosh, could we figure out a way to actually reduce the waste? And as a consumer of healthcare, don't we want to be involved in solving the problem? Um, so um, I actually ran into Don in the lunch line um, on the next slide, and we were talking about it. I said, what if we actually tried to take what you started, Don, and see if we could actually identify where all the different wastes are. And I want to be clear here, it's not just health systems. It's easy to hear that and think, well, it's the organized health systems that are in the U.S. This is about the systems of health. So as we started to think about it, it was like, well, there's things that hospitals can do. There are things that um, are government uh, regulation type driven that we might be able to change. There are things that health plans can do. There are things that, you know, many, many sectors can help with to really think about where the waste is, the non-value-added waste, and what we can do about it. So anyway, I said I had this crazy idea. What if we started working on something more refined? And he said, great, go for it. And I'm like, wow. Uh, and then uh, we ended up having a lunch, another lunch with Derek and uh, Jill Duncan, uh, who also deserves a lot of credit for helping keep us going here uh, from IHI. And he said, we'll help. Uh, and that's where we entered Boswell Bueno, the wonderful Boswell. And so uh, Jim and myself and Boswell have been on many calls. Uh, we've been working with Kelly and Joanne and others to really put this together. So the premise is a checkbook. So um, I won't go into too much detail here. We can answer it in the um, questions. But on the next slide, it talks about these radical rules, um, the new rules of radical redesign. It was actually something that you're one of the alliance, so some of us put together. And the last one, return the money. So if it's true, if you buy that we're wasting some money in the whole system of health, and can we return that to the public or for private purposes or back to patients, reducing out-of-pocket, reducing uh, bankruptcy, reducing, you know, worry about where am I going to, do I spend money on health or putting food on the table? So the idea is let's create this checkbook. And uh, we had a funny moment because some, some people may not remember the actual old checkbook, but it looks like the picture on the top left, but with a register. And if we started to really think about how could we create a listing, and we actually started with a very simple Excel spreadsheet and just started listing all the different things we thought could actually create this non-value-added waste. Um, one of the things we did to help frame it as we went through this is what are kind of the primary drivers of waste? What's the driver diagram? And uh, in the toolkit and online in the in the reference that you've seen posted, we talk about and um, we had a big discussion at the alliance. What's the bold Harry audacious goal here, you know, the BHAG. Um, and it's really, if we've identified 900 to a trillion, 900 billion to a trillion dollars worth of waste, I'll explain the math in a second. Um, if we could just go for half of it, you know, wouldn't that be considerably amazing by 2025? And then what are the kinds of drivers that cause us not to uh, be there yet? So what can we actually, if you will, attack to reduce that waste? So things like we still cause harm in healthcare and that is something that we can all take even more seriously and really work to stamp out. 
infections, sepsis deaths, the list goes on. Um, there's a lot of operational waste. We're working in buildings that were built, you know, in 1930, um, and a lot of Band-Aids and processes and things have been added on, not just in healthcare providers, but also in billing and other things where uh, we, we make things so complicated that there's a lot of sort of non-value-added steps taken. There's clinical variation in care. Some of that is individualized. Some of it, frankly, is variation we could get rid of. How about the whole idea of getting staff and clinicians involved in making things better, you know, the whole what matters to me uh, or breaking the rules idea? Um, what about involving patients uh, in all the ways that they see and that they encounter in trying to work with the healthcare system and get care? All the work on the triple aim, population health and all that redesign um, that gets to outcomes and total cost of care. And then the most important thing, None of this really happens without meta or strategic leadership that's uh, making it happen. And you can see, for example, secondary drivers of memorial care. We took this and turned it into a whole roadmap and added our tactics alongside this. So uh, we can certainly make those tools available. So at the April meeting of 2018, we actually did a whole exercise around what are the different kinds of ways. This is a picture of the actual work uh, where we were starting to say, well, if we, we did these things and where would they kind of put on, if you put them on a, if the y-axis going uh, vertically is really the magnitude of the potential dollar impact and the x-axis or the degree of leap, how difficult is it to get there? Kind of one of our observations was the kind of uh, the lower left co coordination of this. Those are things that uh, many of us can do. We can do them locally in the areas of our control where we have influence and can, can apply some leadership and, and really create stretch goals. There are things in the middle that take more collaboration. Uh, anyone in a health system or a hospital or provider group or a skilled nursing facility chain or whatever it might be um, cannot do it by themselves. But if we came together, we might be able to do it. And then the ones on the right, typically actually the ones that create also the most return, are they're going to take real reform by working uh, through policy and advocacy and rewriting some laws and regulations to make it easier to do the right thing. So um, just to kind of show you what we ended up with, so I'm fast-forwarding about 18 months of discussion and work. So now we have um, the call to action, and everybody's really happy that it's out and published. Um, we had a lot of help from writers and rewriters uh, to get to this level, and so it's kind of the the Tada factor. So if you go to the links, you'll find the call to action. It's, um, I think, uh, uh, said with all uh, humility, I think it, it's it's quite clear uh, in terms of how it lays out the opportunity. Uh, we introduce it. We talk about the case for reducing waste. S some people, they don't like to use the word waste in the context of healthcare and, and link the two together. And and we had a big discussion about that. It's it is waste. It is, it is waste because we can actually figure out how to reduce it, and it's not adding value to the people that we care about and care for. So um, we just decided to leave it and call it waste and, and leave it the way it is. Um, we talk about why it's important to each of the key stakeholders, talking uh, first, of course, of our, our patients and families. We talk about this driver diagram framework. We talk about the actual key drivers we found. We've articulated a list of almost 50 different drivers of big waste, um, and then um, the kind of key activities and call to action that we're asking us and uh, everybody on this call 
and uh, all the people that hear it later and uh, really uh, taking this on by storm and creating a grassroots effort to make this happen. So I think my um, my last slide here, or just a couple of slides, it's just some examples. We realized as we started talking about this that we need to also give some really tangible examples. So the idea that Excel spreadsheet is now translated into the companion piece to the call to action called the Trillion Dollar Checkbook. Um, it is not done. It's published, but there are we, we put everything in it we could think of or that we could research that we could find to put in it, but we are sure that somebody on the call is going to come up with something else to add to it. But you can see, for example, for sepsis, um, and again, this is a longer document, but each one is resourced with, well, what is the, what's the problem? 750,000 people die, I'm sorry, or get diagnosed with um, sepsis every year in the U.S., 210,000 deaths still. Um, and you can see the literature that supports that and the ways to mitigate it. What we did is we said, all right, if we can actually reduce that by 20 to 25%, which some health systems have been able to do, um, and some have gone further than this, by the way, what would that look like just in terms of just a math model uh, to the checkbook calculation? We tried not to take on, um, you know, we, we were conservative on our estimates, so it's around, you know, this is an educated guess basically, but maybe somewhere in 2018 dollars of $5.7 billion of waste in how we don't take the best care we could uh, for patients with sepsis. We also provided some getting started resources. And uh, again, there's so many examples in the checkbook, but uh, another one I'll call out is um, uh, around really working with patients and what matters to them. So palliative care matters to patients uh, who need it. And we have so many hurdles in front of it, um, number one being how do we pay for it, um, and can we figure out how to work with payers and government to actually fund this appropriately so that we can do it and do it in a seamless manner. I know that's a chief passion of my friend Joanne Roberts. So um, again, you can see the example there. So I'll be happy to come back and talk about more when we get to the questions. Thanks so much, Helen, and um, I loved the fast-forward 18 months. <laughs> that must have been <laughs> just a blip yeah. in time. Uh, thank you. Uh, it really is, uh, I think, a fascinating document. Um, I think people are often trying to figure out how to present things in a way that captures maybe some of the most in essential elements, and I think these resources can act as kind of cat in a catalytic fashion, I might say. So thanks, Helen. All right, I'm going to turn first to Kelly and then Joanne, and uh, because both your organizations, Health Partners and Providence St. Joseph, uh, have dug into waste reduction in somewhat different but equally important ways. So I wanted each of you to share with the audience what's been going on and what do you think might be some of the important takeaways uh, for those who are listening. Uh, we're always thinking about what people might do to take some action on their own. So Kelly, let me turn to you. Kelly Logue, thanks. Sounds good. Thanks, Madge. Um, so I'm going to give some examples uh, in real life, and maybe that's the takeaway. But first, uh, maybe a little bit about health partners. So we are an integrated healthcare financing and delivery system. Our health plan covers about 1.8 million members nationwide, but we have a more dense footprint in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and the Dakotas. 
Our care delivery system cares for about 1.2 million patients. We accept multiple third-party commercial and payers, including our own, of course. And we see many patients covered by Medicare and Medicaid. Our clinics and hospitals are located all the way from central Minnesota to western Wisconsin, and we have a heavier concentration in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And we're also proud to be the largest consumer-governed nonprofit healthcare organization in the nation. So that's a little bit about us. But then a little bit more about our journey. So this is an illustration of the work that has been to evolve uh, cost and quality and embed cost and quality into our day-to-day -day work. The beauty of being an integrated system is that we are in a unique position to design, test, and refine systems that allow us to measure resource use and price separately and develop specific improvement strategies accordingly. There's not enough time to go into the total cost of care methodology today, but it's free to download from our website at healthpartners.com slash TCOC, and I'll plug that into the chat in a little bit. But our total cost of care methodology truly has been a game changer as a way for us to hone in and identify waste and pinpoint affordability opportunities for the care we provide to our patients. The simple and affordable let's go, this has become our internal rally cry here at Health Partners because we know we can't go fast enough to address the issues of waste, complexity, and the affordability of healthcare today. So on the next slide, um, during our journey for total cost of care, and my role has been in existence since 2010, so we're coming up on a 10-year anniversary of this work, we recognize pretty much early from day one that you can't divorce quality from cost. Our approach is to always lead with quality, and that good quality care is almost always uh, going to be more affordable. So when we look at our annual plans and our operational scorecards, about two-thirds of the items in the call to action and the checkbook are identified as priorities for us already, and we have them embedded into our day-to-day -day work. It's just what we do. Some things need more attention than others, but quality and safety is always at the core. We know that we have gaps uh, from our work plan with the checkbook, and some of the things we've identified are harder to implement than others. And we're assessing each opportunity for next steps. But again, when we put the patient and their family at the center, we know we're also making an impact on waste and affordability. So more work to do, but we're feeling good that we have a strong foundation and the principles to build upon. So maybe just to give a specific example. So we have a full affordability improvement portfolio, but one of the initiatives we recognized had a significant impact on affordability is where patients receive their care or site of service. From the diagram, we know the more that we can move care out of the higher intensity, higher price settings, the better this is for patients, and it's better for our own operational efficiency. The more that we free up hospital-based beds and operating rooms, the less we need to invest in and build later. And we know that building is more expensive and comes with that, uh, the expense of other value-added infrastructure and investments in healthcare. So we've made some deliberate, sometimes difficult decisions to build capacity for procedures to be done safely in our clinics and moving some of that care even to people's homes. And some of those examples are in that lower right-hand corner of the slide. And then in our market, which I don't think is very different than those others nationally, about 50% of our patients and members are on a high deductible plan. So patients have a lot of financial stake in how we direct their care. And often patients don't know that the cost difference between an inpatient setting and another setting. Um, so they're trusting us to do right by them. But this is real money to them. So we've used our data here to identify site of service opportunities, um, figuring out things that we could have done in a different setting, and then have engaged our leaders and our staff and our physicians to build more reliable systems to guide that care to the safest, most cost-effective site. We've also recognized that we need to provide options for patients to receive care in forms other than the traditional office visit. 
So we've created Virtuel, which is basically online care that we can provide care for over 60 conditions like allergies, pink eye, and access to birth control. And we do this at a flat, transparent rate of $49. Many plans will cover this without a copay for a certain number of visits, and patients actually love it. I've used it. I love it. And then most recently, we've also rolled out an e-consult methodology where clinicians who normally would have made a referral for a patient to visit a specialist now have the option to ask questions through our electronic medical record to get guidance to, to care for that patient, potentially without another visit. This often saves the potential delay in receiving a treatment plan due to the appointment lag. It saves the patient a never visit to the clinic. And it also saves the patient potentially time away from work or school, which we know is inconvenient and a big dissatisfier. So again, e-consult, high quality care, a good experience, and it has a nice affordability benefit as well. Thank you, so Kelly. Oh, go ahead. Oh. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, I just have one more. Yeah. Um, so we know that we need to do better. So to the previous points, uh, patients and members often don't know wh where to receive the most affordable care, so they trust us, which is great. But the true empowerment and the shared decision-making is where we need to get to, and we need better tools to customize the patient to help them understand costs better. So we're also building and rolling out the capacity for patients to find out care and know the cost before they seek treatment with several online uh, apps and tool-based, or online tools and app-based systems. And we're seeing some great results by providing savings opportunities for prescription drugs Again, customizable to the patient, so that right-hand graphic. We've heard stories from patients that they've literally been able to save hundreds of dollars by switching to another pharmacy, and sometimes that pharmacy is less than a mile away. So there's a lot going on in healthcare and a lot of healthcare waste. Uh, we know that we need to do better as an industry, and we're doing our best at health partners to make it easier for our patients. But we need to do more and do more faster. So uh, we continue on our journey, and uh, we continue to learn from others uh, inside and outside of the Alliance. So thank you, Madge, Helen, and Derek for the opportunity to share our still being written story. Thank you, Kelly, and I appreciate your rapid presentation, and I do hope people will ask questions uh, and comments as, as uh, we move along here. Okay, so let me turn now uh, to Joanne and kind of hear your rendering of what's been going on at Providence St. Joseph. Thank you, Joanne. Sure, thanks, Madge, and I love Kelly's mantra. I wrote it down, Kelly. I, the idea of simple, affordable, and let's go. I think that's something we could all internalize more of. Uh, just a little bit, I'm going to talk about four areas where we're working on waste really diligently at Providence St. Joseph, but a little bit about Providence St. Joseph first to sort of uh, lay the groundwork. So we are a very mission-driven organization, and our strategic vision is around health for a better world, which means that we believe that health and health care are human rights. And to do that on the clinical enterprise, we think that best care at lowest cost is where we have to go and we've put a stake in the ground internally that by 2024, we'll be operating at Medicare rates and thriving at Medicare rates. Uh, and to do that is we have to eliminate waste. That's going to be our path to get there. Providence St. Joseph, uh, many folks around the country don't know about it. If you don't live on the West Coast, you're probably not terribly familiar with it, but we're in seven states in the, on the west, the western part of the United States. We're a very large organization, and we're not just in healthcare. We have ministries in housing and ministries in education, both in high schools and universities. And as to our size, it, it just hit me recently, if we were in the coffee business, we'd be slightly larger than Starbucks internationally. So uh, it gives you an idea of what we're dealing with. We are undergoing a movement now from what we call Health 1.0 to Health 2.0. 
Next slide, Mo. And what that means is moving away from a confederation of hospitals to thinking as a system and learning as a system and putting patients, families, and communities in the center of our work and moving much more away from fixed structures and much more toward digitally enabled care. And in order to do that, we have to get the waste out of our clinical enterprise. So the four areas that I want to talk about rest upon our clinical value framework. I think the middle part of this should be pretty familiar to most everyone on this group. But what I really want to point out is that everything we do in clinical value and clinical quality rest upon empowering and enabling our people to have the capacity and the freedom to act individually to drive out waste. And so our, our, at the top of this, you see simplifying health for everyone. At the bottom, you'll see the culture of reliability and empowerment. And we take that very seriously. And our first step in our waste journey has been around safety. So next slide. We, over the past four years, have embraced high reliability as well as some of the tools in partnership with the IHI. And over the past four years, we've reduced our serious safety events and our hospital-acquired infections by about 70%. And we've done this through breakthrough collaboratives, through clinical bundles, as well as our high reliability uh, commitment throughout the organization. We've gone from being the 30th percentile uh, system in the country to the 90th percentile in patient safety. And in 2018, just in the uh, hospital-acquired infections, we will have saved about $6 million in waste. The second area is really learning from variation. In a system our size with 51 hospitals and about 1,000 clinics, variation is everywhere we look. And variation, wherever there's variation, there's waste. So we have a robust clinical analytics department, and they've developed a tool called the value-oriented architecture that allows us to learn from one another through transparency. Even though there's no labels on this graphic, everything we publish, everything we look at internally is transparent, whether it's by condition, by physician, by unit, by hospital, by clinic. And we seek to learn from each other. So we plot the cost of care of whatever we're looking at against the quality of care, ideally defined by patients themselves, sometimes by the providers. And we're always looking at for that magic upper right-hand corner. Rather than focusing on the underperformers, we try to focus on the high performers and go and look at them and see what are they doing. And then we'll bring everybody to that upper right-hand corner, which is what we've seen in our hospital-acquired infections. We've seen a slow migration to that upper right-hand corner. So in this, we've taken on the top 10 conditions in our hospitals, and this year we will save about $20 million uh, in costs by having doctors look at each other's practices. Next slide. Our third area is around structural changes, and this gets back to that health 2.0. So we are moving from a holding company to an operating company, and that means thinking differently and delivering the care differently. So some of the areas that we're looking at, um, palliative care was brought up. That is something that we've made a strong commitment to um, with our leadership with Ira Bioc. Um, we have found that if all of our hospitals are delivering palliative care services to about 10% of our patients, ideally within the first day of their care, 
we'll not only deliver the better care and the care that they value, but also save between 75 and $100 million a year. We're restructuring our highly complex surgical care and creating centers of excellence, consolidating to those centers of excellence. We know that where complex care is done in higher volumes, that care is safer and more, effic- uh, more efficient. And by doing that, we'll, um, uh, we're starting with cardiovascular care, but I'm sure we'll be following soon with neurosciences and robotics. So structural changes like that, all total this year, will save about $200 million in clinical structural changes. And then the last area is kind of my favorite uh, because this is, gets back to empowering our people at the front line. Working with the IHI, uh, with uh, advice from Mayo, uh, we've been working with the East London Foundation Trust, uh, another strategic partner with the IHI, as well as a few others, um, including Intermountain. We've built uh, uh, what we call a clinical value improvement journey. And the eventual goal is that every caregiver in our system comes to work every day to do two jobs, the job that they were hired to do and the job to improve that first job. And we've begun with executives. Uh, we um, get executives together in teams of a physician, a nurse, ideally leaders, and a finance partner. And we have them go out and do an improvement project themselves, get their hands dirty, and really learn how hard improvement can be, but how rewarding it can be. We've trained about 400 leaders, and each one of the 40 projects or so that we've done is giving us about $140,000 in savings, as well as improvement in care. And those executives then are going back and teaching their core leaders, and their core leaders are teaching their frontline staff, uh, capturing um, our unit-based huddles and our learning boards that are part of our high-reliability journey. So it's a nice full-circle uh, endeavor of improvement science, understanding the economics of care, change management, and spread and scale. Uh, and so it's, it's in a dosing formula, much like we learned uh, from our East London Foundation Trust partners. Uh, I guess the, the one thing I would like to close with, Madge, is uh, what we've learned in our journey is the importance of partnership between our clinical leaders and our operational and finance leaders. None of us can drive out waste alone. It takes a team. And our finance people have taught our clinical people a whole lot about light green dollars and dark green dollars and soft dollars and hard dollars and understanding that clinicians can provide tremendous opportunity to drive out waste, but it takes a partnership with their operators uh, to be able to realize that. Thank you, Joanne. Uh, really appreciate this. Uh, lots of really good stuff. In addition to the resources, uh, the call to action and the checkbook, uh, you've also got some wonderful slides, a uh, reminder that you can download. We've got links on the chat right now, and you'll find them on our website tomorrow as well. All right, we crept a little bit over our 230 mark. I always try hard. I want to just quickly ask uh, Derek, 
if uh, and or Helen, if you have any sort of uh, global thoughts, uh, sort of listening to these two examples. I mean, th- without putting too much pressure on Providence St. Joseph and Health Partners, in some ways you're here to illustrate, you know, what's possible. Uh, that's what it means to dig in here. And I'm wondering, <clears throat> Derek, what you take away uh, in listening to uh, their journeys so far. So first, I, I really appreciate uh, Kelly and Joanne sharing uh, what they're doing. That's the that's the whole spirit of this. We're much more likely to make progress if we're willing to share our learning. And for me, there was a really good uh, intersection between the very kind of practical stories that Kelly and Joanne shared about stuff that's actually happening and the kind of things that are in the call to action in the checkbook. So a, a focus on safety, a focus on reducing variation, as Joanne Joanne says, wherever we find variation, we find waste. Uh, I thought Kelly's point about integration, uh, really important. Um, And then uh, whether it's at the end of life in relation to palliative care or elsewhere, I think, in the patient's journey, lots of opportunities around uh, better involving our patients and families in the everyday decisions that we take. Um, So shared decision-making, understanding what matters to people, uh, great examples. The only thing I think I would would add that I feel is really important and and we haven't had an opportunity to focus on, it's hard to focus on everything in an hour, uh, are the real opportunities around uh, our workforce uh, and really creating what we call IHI joy in work, atta- uh, attacking issues like burnout, for example. Huge uh, financial toll and um, human suffering that's caused by these things. But uh, no, I think, uh, I think Kelly and Joanne are focused on exactly the right kind of things. If they can do it, no reason why uh, uh, the folks listening on the, uh, on the WIHI can't follow suit. Thank you, Derek. Um, all right, let me do this uh, just because I want to make sure we get in a couple of the questions. Uh, I, there's a lot of uh, interest in sort of the sources of uh, kind of methodology here, and I think the first one was uh, for Kelly. Actually, it was for Helen. I'm sorry. Helen, what data sources uh uh, the team you and, and Dr. Leo kind of uh, have used or were using to set some of these baselines? Yeah, thanks. I saw that question came from Gary. Appreciate it. Um, so as you um, download the checkbook and read through it, it's, um, it was, I want to say, very well referenced uh, with the help of Boswell. Um, and every, every single idea that we put into the checkbook, again, it's an evolving journey, but for the ones that are there already, um, we basically surface them through Alliance members. So uh, myself, Kelly, Joanne, and many other people in these meetings, you know, where's the waste, where's the waste, where's the waste? So the, it was sort of an iterative process because we'd look at the idea and then we'd go out and see what we could find in the literature that would evidence that. Uh, then look at the prevalence of, well, how often does that exist across the United States? Uh, and then do some rough, again, fairly conservative math, kind of, sort of, you get to X billion dollars worth of it could be about this. Um, we know enough to say that whatever we did, that number is likely not completely correct, but no one really knows the number, so it's a better guess than we've ever seen before. Um, and and so that's how we did it, but we kept iterating. And so we really uh, encourage everybody to join this conversation. 
um, and because uh, we, we're sure we can make it even better. Thank you, Helen. Well, Joanne, let me turn to you, and then maybe Kelly can also chime in and uh, the uh, with an example from uh, Health Partners, the VOA. Somebody is which uh, somebody was asking about. Let's see if I have this right here. What elements or data points uh, f- have fed that? Sure, Madge. So I am not an expert on the uh, workings of VOA. We have two fantastic clinical analytics leaders, um, Ari Robachek and Caleb Stilwell, uh, which, who have built this. And I will say that um, on the financial side, they have worked hand in glove with our finance folks to both identify cost in healthcare, which is not an easy thing to do, we've learned, and to normalize those costs across the eight, uh, seven states that we serve. Uh, on the quality side, they began, um, we have clinical institutes where uh, physicians and other clinicians get together and they defined uh, what excellence looks like. We started with quality um, meeting the given arn test. So if a doctor thought it was worth giving a darn about, it was probably a valid quality measure. Is that very Midwest? <laughs> <laughs> or West Coast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we're moving now much more patient-oriented, uh, patient-driven outcomes, uh, and that, that's a very deep commitment for us. And uh, so they have been able to, to normalize both of those uh, across the organization. Uh, it's, it's been a great journey. We believe that data and capability are half of what it's going to take to drive improvement all across the organization. Thank you. Kelly, um, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this, and it was a question for Joanne as well. What's your, are you all agnostic about methodology? Uh, does it matter? Somebody was curious whether, uh, lean methodology was, is behind a lot of the work at Providence St. Joseph, but I thought I might ask Kelly first to talk about methodology. Yeah, so we do use Lean. Um, we actually don't have that as an exclusive tool that we use for quality improvement. Rather, we have a whole array of uh, toolbox that we choose from. It could be the PDSA cycles that we've learned, and it could just be straight slash and burn project management based upon the operational details. So we haven't like put everything into the Lean uh, tool bucket at this point, but rather it's one of the many things that we use to help organize our improvement work. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Joanne? And I, we, too, are agnostic as a, a system that's come together from many cultures. Um, we have not tried to prescribe what um, improvement methodology uh, a, a ministry should use. What we have done, though, in our clinical value improvement work is uh, worked with the open school, the IHI open school, and we do expect that everybody understands at least the model for improvement. Thank you very much. Derek. And this is Helen. I'll just add that in the paper. We do call out, the, it really is good to have a model or something that you are using. Like, for example, at Memorial Care, we do use Lean, uh, and we're you know, 11 years into that journey. And, and so I, I do think that um, uh, this sort of ability to, to take people offline and understand how to improve and do breakthrough improvements, uh, some way to do that is, is, is inherent in the organization's sort of DNA to be able to do this hard work. Thanks. Derek? The only thing I would add, Madge, is uh, to invite people not to get too hung up on the actual tools that they're going to use. These things all have much more in common than separate them. There's a fantastic IHI white paper from a couple of years back uh, that 
talks about the differences and similarities between the IHI model for improvement and Lean that was written by Richard Scoville and some colleagues. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with all of the colleagues. Having a method and a, and a set of tools you can use is important. But what's more important, I think, is the leadership commitment uh, to doing this work and the um, and the commitment also to equip staff at the point of care with some of what they need to make the changes that we need to make. Okay. There's an interesting, I don't know if it's the $64,000 question uh, using uh, cost as a, the metaphor here or the existential one, but there are a couple people asking here, sell this for me, uh, waste is somebody else's uh, revenue, the which is the constant go around. I think it goes back almost to that David Cutler point of we're just always moving things around because we don't maybe want to take a bite out of uh, potential revenue, really, or that's the fear. So I'm curious whether the Leadership Alliance, the Waste Work Group, or the, the, whether this came up a lot. Um, do we feel that there's been kind of, um, I don't know, a slack off on this issue around waste uh, because of fears around revenue? Derek, why don't I start with you? Yeah, it did come up, <laughs> not surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can understand uh, people's initial uh, reservations and maybe even reticence uh, it's one of the reasons why I said in my introductory remarks, Madge, that this takes courage. Um, I would invite people, however, not to focus on revenue, but instead think about margin. Uh, because for uh, while some of these interventions, by no means all of them, but while some of them are likely to have a detrimental effect on revenues, they will all have a positive and productive effect on expenses and expenditures. Uh, and so um, if you have to get some organizational uh, well building done, start with those. Start with the ones that um, A, speak to the mission of the organization. I think one of the most powerful things that I mean, Joanne started her story about Providence with, we're a mission driven organization. Um, so start with the ones that really speak to the mission uh, of your organization and then focus on those where the the benefits for patients and the cost that you'll save have a much more um, positive impact on expenses than they do in threat to revenues. I'd like to kind of throw that question out also to Kelly uh, and and to Helen. Maybe we'll just go around the horn around that. Clearly, this is there's some kind of tension around this in every organization, uh, and um, it's one of the reasons I would imagine this is a little clunky. But there's been a lot. IHI's put out some of these as well. The business case for X Y Z, and in some ways, what folks are trying to do is sort of create those new business models. Um, but uh, Helen, what's your take on how uh, <laughs> how this needs to, uh, Derek brought up an interesting issue there around margins. What Any thoughts of your own there? 
Yeah, I have many, more than we have time for. But I think, um, as you said, it, it did come up a lot. And I think if you look through the detail of all of what we've produced, um, we, we pretty much, and as you've heard the frame, gore somebody's ox pretty much all the way through it. <laughs> um, everybody's making money off of something in that checkbook. And the, the distinction is what's adding value to patients and what's not. So uh, a memorial care story would be we've really advocated for site neutral. I think Kelly highlighted that as well in her talk, um, where we have uh, we've really pushed out surgical care into the community near where people live and work, and we only try and bring people to the hospital when they need a hospital outpatient or inpatient procedure. That is definitely a great example of moving somebody's cheese, but we've found a way through it. And we've linked, you know, it's it's a it's a journey, but we've linked it to our whole population health focus, and we want people to have the care in the right place for the right reason. And, and so I think it's about calling that out and then moving towards it. Is it easy? Absolutely not. And we have constant discussions about the balance between how do we, you know, keep going and and, and also lower the cost of care. But we're actually doing it, and we have some great success around it. So I think it's around... What Derek said, you have to figure out where you can start. And one thing's always true. If you don't start, you won't get there. So figure out where you can start. Figure out how you can say, well, these are the things that can work. Another great example is choosing wisely or really having alerts that help people understand, you know, this is actually not evidence-based. You really may want to do this instead. Um, and, yes, that's going to cause less procedures done by certain specialists or less drugs being ordered, for example, that may not actually add value. I mean, you know, and so, but you just have to start and prioritize where you're going to focus. What do you say, Kelly, at Health Partners? Has this been a, a very vigorous conversation there? Yeah, it definitely comes up. And I think in that site of service things, when we're moving things to the clinic, there's also an operational cost to build capacity at different sites to be site neutral. But the reason, um, the thing I always come back to is that this isn't our money. This is our patient's money. And so when I talk to doctors or administrators who are like, well, I'm not going to hit my budget margin, it's like, well, this isn't your money. We need to do the right thing. And we can get additional patient volume and growth, appropriate growth, by providing excellent quality and excellent service. So let's be a destination to get more volume in to offset that potential margin decrease or revenue decrease. But it's the patient's money that really kind of compels folks, uh, particularly the doctors, to change their behavior because everybody wants our patients to be healthy and safe, and that includes financially healthy. Thanks, uh, Joanne. That's so powerful. This isn't uh, our money. That that would must be new. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. So I, I take a little bit different tactic uh, when I'm talking about this. I, I look at our patients' experience from this waste. Um, when I was a, a chief medical officer at one of our large ministries in Everett, uh, Washington, we did a time motion study of medical patients, and uh, we found. For an average medical patient in a four-day length of stay, they saw 84 different individuals. The patient would see 84 different individuals in 21 different professions. That's the way our system has developed. As we, Because every year we could get more money, historically, whenever we see a problem, we add another layer of people on that. And that's created crazy confusion for our patients and their families. And so undoing that and simplifying care not only takes the financial waste out, it is going to ease the way for our patients. That's a good one. I appreciate your sharing that. 
All right. I think what I want to do, yes, we could talk for hours, um, but we hope you'll really dip into these resources. Helen, let me uh, turn to you. We got the slide up about next steps. Uh, very good. So um, thank you, everybody, for joining the call today and the ongoing conversation. I saw some chat about you know, we could connect, you know, with the VHAs, and we would invite you to join this conversation as well. Um, so would love people to share this message more broadly, tweet it, you know, <laughs> forward it, you know, all of that through blogs, social media. Uh, we've got a list of policymakers that we're talking to. Um, there will be a focus at the IHI forum this year, and you can see some of the sessions. Uh, Jim and I will be talking with the famous Boswell, uh, uh, as well as we've got a, a special CFO um, quality uh, breakfast on that Wednesday morning, so you'll see some familiar names when that pops up. And then there's the work of actually doing the work. So. Um, as you've heard today, there is more than enough opportunity. Um, you've heard some great examples from uh, everyone on the on the call about local work that you can do. That you you just need a strategic footstep to get going. And and some of you are already on that journey. That's great. But what else can you do? Others are are getting started. Uh, collaborative work. I know Derek's helping us look at what can we actually do now to do something across the U.S., and we're talking to the European Alliance. Um, and then finally, um, there's some policy work. Clearly, when you read through this, we actually were creating an advocacy matrix. We need to actually go up the chain on some of these things that if we could just get them rewritten, a bunch of waste would just be removed. Um, and then there's some follow-up uh, publications that uh, we hope that you will all help us contribute to. Thank you, Helen, and the entire team. I want to also thank a lot of the comments in the chat. Thank you, Maureen Bisignano, uh, near and dear to IHI. Maureen mentions that finding lots of energy, she's finding, I believe, or others are finding lots of energy on defining time as a wasted resource for patients and staff. There were several comments about patient focus in here. Lots of great resources mentioned also about kind of how to get your head screwed on right for these kinds of discussions, uh, thoughtful things that people have contributed. So thank you very much uh, for those. Just one more reason. I do want to remind you to download the chat. Um, it will also be posted to IHI.org uh, tomorrow. I really want to thank our panel uh, for all the hard work. I'd been hearing about all this stuff going on with a waste work group <laughs> for quite a while. And I think uh, what's been offered up for all to use is really something valuable. And we'll hope you'll uh, start taking it into some meetings with you and discuss it with colleagues. Thank you, uh, audience. And uh, do uh, we do have a little slide up here about the Breakthrough Series College coming up. These are all different ways. Also, our national forum and certainly many of your own uh, examples. Take advantage of uh, these opportunities to start networking with people. Send uh, the resources. All the links are there. It's easy to send them around. Next up on WIHI on November 14th, we're going to be talking about best practices in the emergency department for people with behavioral health issues. I also want to remind you when you sign off on today's program from this WebEx, there's a brief survey that pops up that really helps us know what worked for you and how we can continue to make WIHI a better program. And in addition to everything being posted to our website tomorrow, the audio of the program does end up on Apple Podcasts, so we hope you'll take advantage of it there and subscribe to the podcast, and then you'll never have to worry about 
it being downloaded into your feed. Any questions whatsoever, do email info at IHI.org, and you can always feel free to suggest future show topics. It's my privilege to host this program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. I want to give a big shout out, uh, in addition to Boswell and a whole bunch of other people behind the scenes here, I want to especially thank Jill Duncan from the Leadership Alliance, who did a lot of outreach uh, for the program today. Uh, Thank you, Jill. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to WIHI. If you've enjoyed what you've heard and would like to learn more, then consider joining us at this year's IHI National Forum, December 8th through 11th in Orlando, Florida. Moving from volume to value is one of 10 featured tracks, and participants have the opportunity to choose from over a dozen individual sessions on the topic. To learn more, visit IHI.org forum.